name's Adam. I'm the discipleship pastor here, and I get to talk about uh, fear today. And fear is one of those um, silly things because a lot of times logic, uh, rationality have nothing to do with fear, especially when it comes to phobias, right? Um, you can think somebody else's phobia. So you're afraid of spiders? That's the dumbest thing you've ever heard of. Spiders are like tiny unless you're in Australia. We're not in Australia. You just step on the thing, you know, like no big deal. But snakes, though, snakes are evil. That's in the Bible. Look it up, you know. Um, and so there's no, there's no level here. It's just like sometimes fear grips you and it can freeze you in your tracks. Um, I saw this happen on Friday. We were at a playground. Um, and Cohen was going to do the, the little pole that you slide down the sliding pole, and he stepped out to it, and he was like, Dad, watch! And he was super confident, like very, very sure that he was going to do that, and then he grabbed it and leaned out and went, mm-mm, nope. And I was like, it's okay, bud. Like, you can totally do this. No big deal. And so he went, nope, nope, not going to do that, and he backed away, and it reminded me that I had that exact same fear. It was like this vivid flashback because I remember being a kid and having that fear. The picture that I have of fear comes from a home video that we have of my sister trying to do the pole thing at Shawnee Park in Xenia. Um, That was when they had like concrete all over the ground because they didn't care if you got tetanus. Um, And so she's like standing up at the thing and you can just fear, see fear grip her as she attempts to, like, go over this thing. You can hear my mom on the video recorder saying, like, it's okay. You can do it. No big deal. And she's standing there, and she, she reaches out, and she's, like, you know, like, wiping the sweat off her palms, and she grabs it, and she's, like, uh, uh, and she just, like, backs away. She's, like, nope, I don't want anything to do with that. And the whole time watching it as a, as a, like, teenager and all growing up, I thought, like, man, that's silly. That was only like three or four or five feet off the ground. There was nothing to be worried about. But I remember having that fear. And I'm trying to convince Cohen of this on Friday. Like, don't worry about it. You, you will have so much fun because he loves to jump off things. He loves to fall from things. But for some reason, this thing was getting in his way. And I was trying to tell him, like, it's totally safe. I'm right here. What possibly bad could happen to you? I'm like trying to convince him just Friday. And then I got a text in between services from a mom who said, it's really funny that you would talk about not needing to be afraid of those things because my youngest daughter went down one of those things before she was ready and broke both her legs (laughs) and was in a wheelchair for five or six weeks. And I was like, oh, I'll temper it back a little bit. Maybe you do need to be a little cautious. But still, Cohen would have had a great time with it, I'm sure of it, no big deal. Um, Fear can grip us, right? And fear isn't inherently a bad thing. It becomes a dangerous thing when it paralyzes you and keeps you from stepping into what God has for you in your life. It can just freeze you. But you see, Jesus came to establish a new sort of way of living. And we're not talking about silly phobias today or being afraid on playgrounds of things that might be a little bit out of your depth or height or whatever We're talking about fear that grips us even into adulthood, the fear of being not good enough, the fear that my kids won't be well-adjusted adults, which is especially probably present in a lot of parents 
um, lives today because of graduation season, right? Like, did I do enough? Did I do enough? I'm so afraid to send these kids off to adulthood because I saw them when they were still picking their nose and they got to pay their own bills. But fear of insignificance, of not being good enough, of not being able to overcome the baggage of your past, it can stop you right where you are and it can make you live a life smaller than the life that God has for you. But Jesus came to establish a new kingdom. He waged a war against the way that things are and the sin in our lives. And as we move from who we are to who Jesus wants us to be, fear can slip in and tell us you'll never be anything more than who you were. You'll never be anything bigger than. You'll never accomplish anything more than what you've. Your best days are behind you. Be afraid of what's out in front of you. And fear just tells us and tries to convince us to live smaller than we should. Fear can convince us that Jesus doesn't actually want what's best for us. And so we shouldn't even start to follow him. Or it tells us that Jesus won't actually do what he promised. That he won't actually give us a new life. That he won't actually restore the wood. There's less than for you. And so we stop short. Because our fear moves our perspective to the size of the problem in front of us. And off the size of the God in front of us who's calling us towards himself. And so here's the the bottom line truth, is that fear can become a chain that shrinks our lives to the size of our current comfort. But God has bigger plans for you. Fear can become a chain that shrinks our lives to the size of our current comfort, but God has bigger plans for you, and he wants to set you free. And so we're going to look at a story um, from Scripture today. But before we do that, will you pray with me as we get started? God, we are blown away that you call us into a new life, that you call us into something more. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you and off the problems and things that surround us. We love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at a story today from Matthew uh, chapter 14. And it's important to remember that this is not one of the parables of Jesus. This is a story. This is an account of something that happened. It follows one of the miracles of Jesus when Jesus fed the 5,000. And there was this unbelievable expectation around Jesus, this messianic expectation that he would do incredible things because they just watched him take a couple loaves and some fish and feed tons and tons of people. And so the crowd that was around him, they were expecting him to do lots of things, and his disciples were probably feeling pretty pumped up, like, we're for sure on the winning team because we just had a great lunch and we didn't have enough food to start out with. You know, like, that was unbelievable. And so uh, Jesus is, is, has these huge expectations, and what, we're, what, what we see is that instead of leaning into, instead of leaning into those expectations and saying, like, I want to have this unbelievable crowd around me, I want to do all these things, whatever, he sends the crowd away, he sends his disciples away, and he spends the night praying. He sends his disciples onto a boat, he's like, you guys get out, because I'm going to spend the night in prayer, which is not uncommon for Jesus, but they go out on this little fishing boat um, into the sea, and that's where we pick up our story. Just to paint the picture a little bit, um, Matthew 
says that they were a long way off. The, the literal translation is they were many stadia away from shore when this story picks up. And a stadion was about 607 feet. So they're at least 1,800 feet from shore. Other translations translate it literally as they were in the middle of the sea when this happened. And so they're a long way off. And then this sudden and violent storm springs up, and they're in this little fishing boat, and they don't know where Jesus is because by this time it was the fourth watch of night, which is 3 to 6 a.m. If you're ever up and you want to impress your friends with your Bible knowledge, you can be like, guys, it's fourth watch. We made it. Um, But it's between 3 and 6 a.m., late night, huge storm. That's the darkest part of night if you've ever been up to 3 a.m. Nothing good happens after 3 a.m., and so don't stay up that late. But it's, like, that's the... That's the darkest part of the night. And so there's this storm that springs up violent all around them. And they're in this boat, and they're getting scared. They're like, we're going to miss it because we went out on this boat, and Jesus told us to go out on this boat, and there's this storm. And then all of a sudden, they see this thing coming towards them. And the only thing that their afraid brains can put together is not, you know what? I bet it's the one that we believe is the Savior of the world sent by God to save all humanity. The thing that they think is, oh, I bet that's a ghost coming to get us. That's just perfect. First there's a storm, then there's a ghost. What else is going to come our way? Unbelievable, you know, like just put a tsunami on top of all of it. And they're like, there's this ghost coming towards us. And they cry out in fear. And then we pick up in verse 27. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage, it is I do not be afraid. Have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And the thing that we need to, to realize whenever we find ourselves in a storm in our lives is that the thing that Jesus wants to tell us is to not be afraid. Because he knows that fear is coming. Right? He knows that they're in the middle of a storm. He knows how they're feeling. He empathizes with them, and he wants to give them this reminder. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And I don't think he's condemning fear. That's a natural response. If you're out on the water in a storm, that's a bad place to be. If you've ever been caught in a storm because you were out fishing and you thought that the fish were going to bite right before the rain and you waited a little too long and then a thunderstorm came in, you're in a bad situation. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And so the fear is natural. But the problem is when that fear just stops you right where you are and you stay in that storm and you don't see what's out in front of you. Because Jesus was out in front of them. And if Jesus is out in front of you, you can have courage no matter what storm comes your way. Whether it's uncertainty in your job whether it's uncertainty in your family situation or a diagnosis that just rocked your world or rocked the world of somebody that you love deeply. Wave after wave, these storms can pop up in our lives and we don't know where to look and we don't know what's going to happen, but we feel like we're caught in the middle of it. I remember this summer feeling a little bit like that Because it just felt like week after week after week, something else happened and there was some other problem to fix and then my basement flooded and this other thing happened and this other thing happened. And I was like, what is going on? 
did I do something to make you upset, God? And I just started getting this fear, like, what if I can't handle all of this? But I had to remember, like, no, let me keep my perspective on the one who's going to pull me through. And all these problems that seemed like mountains in front of me, we just walked right through with Jesus. Not that the size, not that the problems weren't real problems. They were real problems. But he pulled me through them. And I didn't need to be afraid of those things. Look at what Jesus says. Take, have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Have courage in the middle of this fear that you're feeling. Fear is, unfortunately, a prerequisite for courage. You cannot show courage if there is no reason for fear. Have courage, it is I. I'm the one pulling you through this storm. Do not be afraid. And so if Jesus is out in front of you, you do not need to be afraid. And for some people in the room, that's an if. And you can be there right now, but I want to tell you that you need to put Jesus out in front of you because he's the one who pulls you through fear. And he's the one who calls you to do incredible, unbelievable things as you walk towards him in the midst of that fear. Because we continue with the story in verse 28. And Peter, you got to love Peter. Because he says, people are thinking it's a ghost, there's this huge storm, they're out in the middle of the sea, it's unbelievable. And he says, Lord, if it is you, Lord, if it is you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. And I don't know if he said that sarcastically. I don't know if he just felt really bold in that moment. He's like, yeah, right. This ghost is trying to convince us that it's Jesus. <laughs> wants us to drown. Lord, if it is you, can command me to come walk on the water. And Jesus said, come. I tried to walk on water once. Uh, I just learned about surface tension in school, right? And I knew, I knew that if I could run fast enough, with my toes spread wide enough, I could be like that little lizard that we watched and just, you know, like a speedboat, jack-jack on the Incredibles, right? And so I was with my friends, and we were talking about it in this real theoretical, like, we just learned about it in school, and we are like, let's go put it to the test. And I was like, yeah, that's right, I'll do it, because I was what I thought was the fastest among our friends, which was really being the fastest of the slow people, right? Like, I'm not fast. And so... Um, I was like, I'll do it. And so I backed all the way up from this, uh, this pool, right? And I got as much <laughs> of a lead run as I possibly could because I needed to be at top speed, which was probably eight, nine miles per hour, whatever. And so I go sprinting as hard as I possibly could. And I'm like, this is going to be epic, unbelievable. People are going to talk about this for generations to come, the time that Adams ran on over the top of the thing. I thought like, you know, I can at least get a couple steps. That's what I really thought. I didn't think I'd make it the whole length of the pool. I wanted that to happen, but I thought if I could get two, three steps, this is going to be awesome, right? And so I go, spread my toes out at the end, and so I'm probably running what looks like a really injured gazelle, right? And I'm running, and I'm going, and as I take my last step on dry land, I think, this is my moment. You know, <laughs> I'm going to do this, no problem, and I hit the water, and I sank. Like, right, pretty epically, immediately I sank. Not only that, but I was running so hard that I was breathing in and out really fast, and so I got water in my nose. 
And so when I came up, I had this awful look on my face. Like, Did I do it? Like, no, no, you didn't do it. Because people sink in water. It is a truth of nature. But Jesus said to Peter, come on then. Lord, if it's you, command me to come out and walk in this water. And Jesus said, all right. And so in the middle of a storm, with just water surrounding his current comfortable-ish situation, Peter takes a step out. And Jesus made Peter to walk on water. And he's walking on the water. Jesus calls us forward toward himself. No matter the certainty of the terrain in front of you, he calls us forward in spite of our fear, in spite of our insignificance, in spite of our, our insecurities. He calls us towards himself. He knows the laws of sinking and floating and buoyancy and surface tension. And he says to Peter, yeah, come on. Come on then out onto this water because I'll be your refuge in the midst of this storm. Just keep pursuing me. And this historical story can show us that in the midst of what's happening in our lives, we can walk on uncertain ground if Jesus is our destination. If we keep heading forward toward him, we don't need dry ground if all we have is water. We can walk on that water. If Jesus is calling you, you can move forward. Think about this. Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life, and he established a new kingdom of redemption and hope in the midst of human struggle. He died on a cross to pay the, sinality, the penalty for all sin and death. This is what we believe, that he paid the, the penalty for all sin and death in the entire world. He took on the weight of all evil, all brokenness. He defeated sin. He died, and he rose again to birth a redemption movement in the midst of human struggle. And he says that we can participate in meaningful ways as his sons and his daughters. What do we need to be afraid of? If he's our destination, we can walk forward no matter the certainty of the ground that's in front of us. We don't need dry ground. We don't need concrete. We can walk on whatever's between us and Jesus if we keep our eyes fixed on him. And so can we say just a little letter to fear today? Dear fear. You can't hold me back. You can't keep me from stepping out in faith because Jesus is calling me forward. Yes, there's stress in my life, but Jesus made Peter walk on water. Yes, I know that I'm struggling with sin and selfishness right now, but Jesus made Peter walk on water. Yes, I know that I'm not the husband or dad or wife or mother that I want to be yet, but Jesus made Peter walk on water. And so fear respectfully, I will not let you talk me out of the future that Jesus has for me. And so don't lose faith. Don't lose faith. Because Peter is standing on water. Peter is standing on water. That's where we currently are in the story. But when he saw the strength of the wind, verse 30 says, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Leave it to human fear or to fear to talk us out of the miracle we're currently living in. 
because some other thing caught our attention. He's standing on water, and then he notices the wind, and he's like, that's going to be what gets me. The fact that I am miraculously walking on water because of the power of the God who is calling me towards himself. Oh, man, the wind is going to get me right now. A too strong a, and I'm gonna be, that's going to be it. I'm done for. It's going to blow me into, I don't know what, something else. But Jesus can't, I mean, the water, that's one thing. The wind, fear grabs us and shrinks our lives to the size of our current comfort or understanding or whatever it is. So why do we doubt sometimes? Why do we doubt that God would sustain us through the ways of your life? Why do you doubt that he would give you certain ground if you kept heading towards him? Why do, you, why do we doubt? It's because the problems are real and the fear is big and sometimes we let the fear talk to us louder than we let Jesus talk to us. Sometimes we let the way that we perceive circumstance to be louder than the truth of the promises of God that we find in Scripture. Whenever I talk to somebody who has been following Jesus for longer than I've been alive, I always want to ask them, like, hey, what is it? What is it that's kept you grounded in your faith? Because I want to live a lifelong pursuit of you, of Jesus too. And so tell me. Tell me what it was, what it is that I need to hold on to. And the first thing, almost always, the first thing is well, I, stay, I stay rooted in Scripture. Like this is my, this is the thing that gives me life. And so I read and I reflect on and I hold strong to the promises that are found in here of who I am to God, that I'm a son or daughter, that I'm a co-heir with Christ, that I get to participate in actually redeeming the world and bringing heaven to earth and being his person in the world, that that's, that's who I get to be because of the, the truth found here. I read and I reflect and I hold on to what I find in Scripture. That's, that's the, the number one thing. And then the second thing, almost immediately right after that is, and also my, my friends, the people of God who showed up when life got really hard. And this is the part where emotions start to come in because people remember a time when the storm seemed too big to face alone. And then that person showed up. And it's almost never that this person who's been following Jesus their whole life remembers the eloquent words that were told to them or the speech that was given or the well-prepared and constructed argument for, uh, you know, strength in the midst of chaos. They remember that another Jesus follower was there with them in the boat, in the storm, when times were tough, when times were good. They remember that it was somebody else that reminded them God didn't abandon us because he gave me this person. So can we talk about the other side of that for a second too? Because oftentimes fear talks us out of going and being that person. I won't know what to say <laughs> when I go to the hospital. This, my, my friend's child was just, just diagnosed with leukemia. I don't know what to say. 
what do I say about how God is good in the midst of this pain and brokenness? It's not about what you say. It's about the fact that you showed up. The people of God can bring the peace of God into unbelievably difficult circumstances. And so don't let fear keep you from being that miracle in someone else's life, from being the community to someone else. When Emily was having treatment on her radiation, it was the people that showed up and prayed with us and were just there. I don't remember any of the things that I was told in that time, but I do remember the people that showed up. I was like, this is tough. We all have difficulty that's going to come our way. We will all face difficulty in our life. If you don't face difficulty, you're not striving greatly to make an impact in the kingdom of God. Because striving means difficulty, and it means that you will face fear, and it means that you will face rejection, it means you will face uh, failing. You will fail. And so we need people alongside us who are co-labor, who are going with us through this stuff. I wonder if Peter would have fallen if somebody had stepped out with him. And that's just a question that's pure conjecture. You have no idea. But we do know that Peter was disrupted by the wind, and he lost faith. And I want to stay strong. And so I need community, and I need the truth of Scripture in my life. And if you want help finding community, you can email me. I'll help you find people to connect with. Don't go through life alone. I had a mom come up to me after a service, this last service, and said, is there somebody I can talk to? Because, yeah, her child does have leukemia, and she doesn't know what to do with it. She's like, I just want somebody to talk to. I said, I'm really sorry you're going through that, and yes, you won't have to go through this alone. There will be people with you to help you remember that God is with you because his people are with you. And so in the middle of your storm, as you step out, as you're on uncertain ground, don't lose faith. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, which brings new life to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which says this. It says, therefore, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He, Jesus, is the author and the perfecter of our faith, and he's calling us towards himself. And we get to walk in the path of his victory. We get to walk in the path of his victory. And so as we close out this Chain Breaker series, can I sum it up for you in four words? We could have done this series in maybe four words if we didn't have to unpack it so much because of our own, you know, misunderstanding of these things. But we have a four-word summary of the Chain Breaker series, which is sin entangles, Jesus frees. When we decide to do life differently than the way that God has life for us, it entangles us and it ties our lives up into knots. And depending on how long you've been tying your life up into knots, the consequences of those knots live longer. And so Jesus wants to start untying the sin which has entangled 
your life. You ever had a, a, you know, the jewelry box or whatever where all the necklaces got put into one big ball and you had to spend forever untying them? It's, that's, you, can't, you can't just pull tighter. You've got to work at it. It takes time. I remember a couple years ago, Cohen had two, like, paddle ball things, but they were, it was like a cup. You could try to catch the ball in the cup. Anyway, there's a ball on the end of the rope. That's all you need to know for this story. I'm giving you too much detail. But he had used two of them at once, and they became one toy that didn't work. And so he brought it to me, and he said, Dad, this toy's broken. I said, no, that's two toys that are put together. It's probably not broken. I don't know if you did break it, but let's sit down. And we had this long conversation. It was like a, it was like a teachable dad moment. You know what I mean? Like, I was really proud of myself for capturing this teachable moment and having, like, Cohen, sometimes we make decisions. I was doing this spiel with him. Sin entangles our lives, and sometimes you've got to really work at untying it, right? And he's, like, just listening. Okay. He's really thinking, like, Dad, stop. I just want the toy back, you know, like, whatever. And so I finally, after, like, 15 whatever minutes, I get them both undone. I hand both to him. I'm like, bud, if you don't play with these the right way, they're going to get tied up again. Said, Got it. Cool. Totally good with that. As he walked away, he went, <laughs> immediately, just tied it back up. Do not submit yourselves again to a yoke of slavery. Him walking away and doing that absolutely struck me in the moment because I was like, oh, God, I'm sorry. I get it. I get it. We're like kids who think we know better sometimes with our lives. And you help us through a situation, and we take our eyes, our eyes off you, and we tie our lives up in knots again, and then we go back to you, and you're like, okay, seriously, this time, let, let's leave it untied. You're like, cool, got it. Nope, tied immediately back up in the knots. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. It is for freedom. He calls us forward towards himself. We have to understand whose we are and the kingdom that we get to follow him. And so it doesn't matter the size of the storm that comes up in your life. The same God who showed up in the middle of a fire when three rebellious men in the midst of a pagan culture said, we won't worship any other God but our own. The same God who showed up in a fire when they were thrown into a furnace shows up in your life when difficulty comes your way. The same God who knocked down Jericho's walls shows up with you in your life when you're having difficulty. The same God who made the sun stand still so there would be light. The same God who breathed everything into creation with the power of his voice without breaking a sweat, who created everything and gave man you unique position in that creation, the same God who did all those things and who came to earth to die on a cross, and he died. I mean, really died, and he was dead for three days, but then he rose again from the power of death. Death had no power over him. He can give us a new life. That same God is calling you out of your current comfort and into something bigger than you could have imagined if you'll just keep your eyes fixed on him, and so we don't have to be paralyzed by fear. We can do unbelievable, unimaginable things in his name if we're walking in his path. And so don't doubt that he's powerful over the wind, too, when you're standing on the water. Don't doubt that even though that diagnosis rocked your world, 
He's got something else for you. Don't doubt. Don't lose faith. Because Jesus has a future for us. We're going to take communion in just a minute as a way to remember the unbelievable power that we can have in our lives if we're following Jesus. His body was broken, and so each week we take a piece of bread to remember that. His blood was shed, and so each week we drink the juice to remember that. That it's in his sacrifice, in his death and resurrection, that we find our courage. And so as you remember, just remember the price that was paid so you could live a bigger life. And if you've never put Jesus out in front of you as Lord and Savior of your life, think about that in this time. He's out in front of us. Are you going to take that step towards him? Even if it means getting out of what's comfortable and what's been and what's been sheltering you from the storm all this time. Because he saves us and he scoops us up. Peter took his eyes off Jesus, right? He cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, immediately. Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you have little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and they said, truly, you are the son of God. Immediately, Jesus reached in and saved Peter. Just cry out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And even if you feel like you're drowning, do it. There's hope and a future for you. If you want to talk about that, I'll be right down here while we're taking communion. And for the rest of the service, will you pray with me as we take communion? God, thank you. Thank you for being good to your promise. And we pray that in the midst of any storm that comes our way, we would keep our eyes fixed on you. We love you and we thank you. Jesus, in, in your name we pray.